Hello everybody, welcome to our latest podcast and my name's Liz, I'm joined by the rest of the usual bunch from Foundation for Change and that is Bex, Tonya, Heather, Bob and today we're joined by our newest member, Antonia. So welcome to podcast world and also sadly um, Katie who's been I think worked with us for four years now has gone on as has left the organization but is you know carrying on her political work so we wish her the absolute best and you know thank you for all her contributions so far. So this is actually part of two this is the first part of two podcasts where we're going to be looking at core beliefs and you know it's quite a big subject a big meaty subject so we thought we'd break it into two parts and um so in this first part we're actually going to be defining what core beliefs are and putting them into some kind of context around uh cognitive behavioral therapy because that's where the term comes from and actually we're going to think about the impact of those core beliefs on people's lives but before we start that I just wanted to ask the rest of the team um, if we if we kind of think about somebody who's just given up drugs or alcohol or both or, or kind of made actually real changes to their lives what, what kind of what do you think are the challenges of the people that people face at that point what, what you know do do people just kind of kind of change their behaviors and then kind of crack on with their new course of behaviors i mean what what do you think what are the questions or the challenges that are, that are very kind of present at this point for people i suppose one of the first challenges i could think of might be trying to work out who you are again yeah. as a person like what what means something to you like what do you enjoy um yeah, like all of the bits that, you know, you kind of sort of forget or fall by the wayside um, when you are in addiction. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, that's certainly, uh, and I, I think it can kind of feel a bit embarrassing, isn't it, to be in your kind of 20s or 30s or older and just think, oh, I don't know who I am. You know, we live in a world where that sort of stuff is supposed to happen when you're a teenager. Um, any other kind of kind of responses to this? Well, you know, what what what's what's going to be difficult for people at this point? I I guess like having a certain idea about who you are and you've carried that your whole life, it, it is really challenging to kind of like question that belief because then it comes along that you're challenging everything else. It's not just that one thing. It kind of has a knock-on effect of everything. So you're challenging everything about your life because, yeah. because you've changed so much. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, that's where I was kind of getting at with this a bit. It's like it, it, it's actually it's kind of making sense of what happened to you. You know, if you if you you've had a lifetime of taking drugs or alcohol or any kind of difficult type behavior, you know, sort of ways of kind of responding, you know, there comes a point where if you decide to change your life, you're going to have to sort of think, well, what, why, why did I do that? What happened to me? Who am I? How did I understand the world? Does that kind of make sense to people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you might not want to, you know, there might be things that you like about, you know. You might not want to change all of it. True. <laughs> you might be quite yeah. reticent about about it. 
it's also kind of knowing which which bits can be changed and how you change them i think you know somewhat naively and i don't want to talk about too much personal experience but kind of coming into you know giving up drugs i just kind of thought oh right that's you know (laughs) that's it that's all i have to do and it it came as a bit of a kind of shock to realize there was you know all this kind of working out of what happened who i am what i believed in that that kind of came up a bit a bit of a shock I don't know. Maybe, what maybe. do you mean? This is just the beginning of the journey. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know. Do you think I was being, you know, particularly naive, or do you think it's quite common? I think it's quite common. I can I can relate to that as well. I think I'm sort of learning about myself, and I learned about core beliefs. It was like entering a new world. Like, oh my god, this isn't sort of how it is. It's it's different. So yeah, for me, I did think that there was a massive long, longer journey. To, to undo and unpick stuff with the core beliefs stuff and things like that and finding out who I am and trusting. I found that was another um, trust in yourself and trust in your thoughts and stuff. And mm. Yeah, true. Yeah, okay. Well, it, it seems like a good place to now sort of dive into this idea of core beliefs. So the actual kind of, you know, the term and the idea of a person, of a person having a core belief comes from cognitive behavioural therapy. And, um, you know, the first person to develop this was a guy called Aaron Beck in the 1960s. So he developed what he then called cognitive therapy, the the kind of behavioural bit came later. And it it was his way of kind of developing what he saw as a very structured short term form of psychotherapy for treating depression. And what, what he kind of recognised that was one of the one of the common themes about depression and, and actually, you know, most psychological disturbances, most kind of um, anxiety or distress was a distorted or dysfunctional um, way of thinking about the world. And, and this influences the mood and behaviour. And so if you ask someone who's, you know, terribly depressed about an experience of, I don't know, a, a party or something, they'll kind of report a very different experience from somebody who's not depressed. And I, I know that sounds really obvious, but that, that was where Beck started off. He kind of thought this is really important that people who are depressed or psychologically distressed actually experience the world in a really different way. And so Beck says, this is a quote from Beck, beginning in childhood, people develop certain beliefs about themselves, other people and the world. And their most, these most central or core beliefs um, are understandings that are so fundamental and deep that they often do not articulate them even to themselves. These ideas are regarded by the person as the absolute truths or just the way things are. And I, I hope that was kind of clear enough because I want want the team to unpack that a bit. What is Beck saying? He says, "Do you want me to repeat it? Do you have to? Do you want me to repeat the beginning?" So, beginning in childhood, people develop certain beliefs about themselves, other people, and the world. What what what's he saying there? Well, like, is it like that we what affects us in childhood? is kind of like buried deep and it's what we carry with us until to adulthood yeah yeah i think he is he's sort of saying that that shapes how we understand the world and then he goes on to say these most central or core beliefs are understandings that are so fundamental and deep they they i.e people do not articulate them even to themselves i think this is the really important bit 
What's he saying there? It's unconscious. So we're not aware of it. Yeah. Is he, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it, there's an element of it being unconscious and we're not aware of it. And then there's an element to me, which is like, if I become conscious of it and I become aware of the severity of them, I cannot admit to myself that I feel these things. Yeah. I, I think that's what I wanted to spend a bit of time on looking at this because it's like you can't even say them to yourself because you can't even see them because you're in it, you know, like whatever you brought up in, whatever you start to believe starts at such an early age that by the time you have language or you are able to consciously kind of say, express things, those things just seem like, well, that's just how it is. That's the truth. I mean, he says these ideas are regarded by the person as the absolute truths and just the way things are. So I think I just, you know, I think you're, could you say a bit more, Bob, about how? Well, I was, gonna, I was just thinking about, because in a way it's this idea of like socialization or kind of conditioning, it's called, or programming, I quite often think. And there was another quote, sorry for all these quotes, everyone. Um, there's this quote, I actually can't remember who said it, but it was something like, things go without saying because they come without saying. Ooh, so, yeah, I think it's amazing. And it's just like, yeah. you know, we just like absorb these things. We're these little kids with these like crazy sponges for brains. And we're just absorbing and trying to make sense of the world. And we, we pick up lots of messages, you know, a lot of them coming from outside, but we never question them because they just, in a sense, kind of just get thrown in and planted. Yeah. So they kind of, they go without saying because they come without saying. Quite often we're not even aware of the fact that we're getting hit by these messages in the first place because we're too young. We, we haven't developed enough. And, and, and also, you know, if those messages are quite kind of derogatory or hurtful messages, they can be, you know, messages that, that one's parents or caregivers are also, also have and, and can't articulate. So it kind of becomes a sort of generational thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of, you know, if people grow up in a family that feels less than uh, for whatever reason, that, 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 that those things aren't are very rarely articulated think, or spoken. What? Think, sorry, just also on that yeah. as well. I think there's also an element of like things becoming generation families, but also in cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I think sometimes whole cultures can think a certain way. I mean, that's the very nature of culture. Yeah. So this, you know, very common one that I experienced as a kid was like never being good enough, which I can I know very clearly where that comes from. But it's just it's also quite an Asian thing because. You know, like there's such an emphasis on education and such, such an emphasis on also kind of like being better than your white counterparts as well. So, yeah. In the second part of this podcast, I want to kind of explore that a bit more. But um, so, you know, spoiler alert. Um, but that's exactly kind of what I'm thinking about. It's like thing like attitudes and ways of thinking about the world that we just absorb and just take as absolute the truth. You know, just just the absolute. This is the absolute how the world is interesting that i also use i mean you know beck beck coined the for the phrase core, core beliefs just there's a bit of a kind of imaginative thing what what does that image conjure up for people when i go core belief what does it what does that sort of say to you it's like internal isn't it so core is something which is right inside of you um, and your belief is like how you see the world so it's kind of rigid it's structural isn't it it's like pretty much like your physical how you how you physically are in the world well yeah like your, your center 
the center of your being kind of thing totally i mean i i kind of think of like the core of the earth you know the center of the earth it being this kind of really immovable kind of you know rigid structured thing and and that as we'll kind of see that 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 is um you know uh, that is a, a sort of intentional aim of that that phrase i think is to kind of convey a, a real kind of rah, it's rigid and it's the core of you but interestingly you know cbt says you can change those things so i was hoping you were going to say what you said the other day which i think you kind of just said really flippantly which oh, like core beliefs being like uh, messages in a stick of rock yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love that you know i love that image where it's like oh my god from the outside it looks so sweet and normal but like you cut it open and you've got this message which runs all the way through it um that also <laughs> I'm sure somebody's done this, but there's probably a kind of like niche market somewhere for really, you know, <laughs> oh negative God. rock. Oh, Heather's nodding, is there? Go yeah, on. I think there was a few years ago. There was like an art exhibition that had all kind of like quotes and things running through. And we could do positive affirmations through sticks of rock. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I'm not too sure the eating of Definitely the rock. Really yeah. Take your dentures out first. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it might not be good for you. Um, Okay, so I mean, you know, I think just to emphasise and do like weird Boris Johnson emphasis kind of speech, just to emphasise these 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 kind of core beliefs. You know, that they're so kind of deeply embedded in part of us that that they don't feel weird. You know, because that's just like what you've always known. So we kind of understand that that these beliefs we hold about we you know everybody holds beliefs about themselves um but some are more negative than others but if we understand that these beliefs that we hold about ourselves develop in childhood experiences so you know it it, it for example if your mother doesn't defend you against bullying or abuse you know it's quite reasonable to for a child to kind of think oh well i must be worthless then there's a sort of logic to that and i just wanted to flag up something we touched upon in an earlier podcast referencing an earlier podcast we did on relationships in recovery and in this do you remember we talked about karen horney and we had lots of well yeah. quite a lot of forget. the hilarious you know yeah the hilarious name of karen horney because it's rude because we're all actually six years old or whatever <laughs> um but uh, do you remember something it was a bit of an aside comment but about Karen Horney's understanding of child of a child's perception of events. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Oh God! Uh, Nobody was listening. Well, basically, it was a bit of an aside, but but basically, Karen Karen Horney, you know, was very much a believer in how children understood events, as opposed to what might have been the intentions of the parents. So, for example, you know, a, a, a parent might make fun of a child, like, you know, just go, oh, stop being such a, you know, wuss or whatever, or make fun of their feelings. Um, and the intention might be just to have a bit of a laugh, a bit of bounce with the child or whatever. But actually, you know, the child might well experience that as being unloved. So it's the, so Horny's like, look, you know, the, the child's perception of events is really important to understand. Or, you know, if you have a parent that's constantly making promises to a child, like, oh, I'll get you this, I'll get you that, and constantly, you know, not being able to kind of fulfill those promises. 
the child will experience that as rejection or dislike rather than just the parent being flaky or to have that kind of understanding of like, oh, well, I'm sure they're busy, you know, sure that kind of works really pressurized. You know, Horny's kind of emphasizing again that a child goes, oh my God, that means I'm, you know, unlovable. Well, people just have a, a very simplistic way of understanding the world because they haven't developed the maturity and the intellect and the nuance to think, well, mommy's having a hard time and, you know, her mommy was also yeah. not a very good parent. And Yeah, exactly, totally. And, and you know, or, you know, mommy's stressed or daddy's stressed about money. That's why, you know, daddy's short-tempered with me. It's like, no, I mean, as a child, you just think, oh, God. It, and also children are completely self-centred. You know, and so you just kind of think, oh, it's me. You know, I am, I am wrong. I am unlovable. Um, so, yes, does that make kind of sense that we are developing these understandings of the world, but also just to kind of flag up that children's understanding, as we've said, is quite simplistic and, and quite not very kind of sophisticated, of course, because they're children. Mm -hmm. But how, how deeply we take these understandings in and how, how they kind of, you know, ossify or, or, you know, kind of become part of this kind of seemingly natural core of ourselves. These are actually ideas taken in by not very sophisticated two-year-olds mm -hmm. or, you know, three-year-olds or six-month-olds. Um, so these beliefs we, we sort of hold about ourselves are there but they tend to sort of surface at times of psychological distress and and at those times people tend to kind of seek or see only the information which supports that core belief so and and so it's like people almost like build a case for for their core belief being true can can you just unpack that a bit so if people tend to see information which supports their core belief what are they doing what kind of what examples Information are there? bias, is that? Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> We're looking for that. I mean, I have a little, little example. It's years ago before I knew about CBT. It's just a uh, sort of a um, personalising one. And if I would call anyone and they wouldn't answer or get back to me, I would just... I would just build up such a story and talk to them about what has happened. Why aren't they answering? Why aren't they talking to me? What have I done? What? And just so it was all about me. They didn't like me or they didn't... You know, and actually, you know, when I actually unpicked it, it wasn't because it, it wasn't about me. It, you know, it's not just about me because I, I was internalizing ev everything. And yeah, and that was one of my, like, that was a big revelation for me, a personalizing thing. And if, you know, so I just threw that off there. But that was just one of my little examples of, um, yeah, thinking people didn't like me if they didn't answer the phone or... Is there a sense of like, because the confirmation bias is interesting because it's like, there's a, there's a voice in the head, whether it's kind of conscious or not, that's a bit like, I knew it. I knew that, you know, they don't like me and it's because I'm this or it's because I'm that. Yeah. Like, I told you so. It's just that very kind of like harsh, cynical voice where you're looking for the messages which confirm that you're an unlovable person or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, confirm you're right. Yes, see, I am right. I do, you know, yeah. it is true. Yeah, it's are real. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, this is this is this is like this is all that's going on, you know, and, and constantly seeking out things that confirm negative beliefs. You know, of course, just builds and builds and builds. And I kind of think of like my my kind of mental imagery is like a, a stalactite or stalactite. You know, those things that hang off 
like um, in caves. Stalactites fall down. All right, there you go. Thank you, our Heather, our resident nature lover and geologist. There's stalactites that fall down, but you know they're sort of they're formed by little drops, aren't they? Like drops of water uh -huh. that just kind of get fatter and fatter and fatter, and you know build and build and build and build, so they become these these hard, brittle things. Yeah. Oh, it's just me and my mind. No, no, that's amazing. No, that really makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Loving that visual. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you. I was just thinking it's just it's just me in a cave. You say I am wrong. I'm bad. I'm bad. Um, yeah. Okay. So you know, like every time you look to kind of support a belief, it just you know intensifies or compounds that belief about yourself. When um, a while ago, I can't even you know about. 20 years ago when I wanted a job and I applied for a job in Hackney uh, Library and stacking basically you know stacking books because I thought oh, it'll be quiet I don't have to talk to anybody and um, I didn't get it and how I interpreted that was just that I was completely unemployable absolutely nobody would ever give me a job because I couldn't even put books back on shelves and that just you know threw me into just confirmed something I, I, I kind of very much feared about myself so this is these core beliefs you know they're not just kind of oh silly kind of misplaced ideas that we have about ourselves they're really kind of ingrained so a bit like another if you remember another podcast we did it i know it was about ego defense mechanisms it was very kind of early and we were talking about i was talking about freud and um i was talking about how a lot of the work Sigmund Freud did um, later on was with his daughter Anna Freud if you remember the really wonderful Anna Freud he's just great and the there's a sort of similarity in that Aaron Beck kind of developed cognitive therapy and a lot of the work um, around about around you know CBT therapy and that is is carried on by his daughter Judith Beck so um, it's actually Judith Beck who came up with the, 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 the kind of idea that negative core beliefs in people tend to fall into two categories, right? You can kind of put them in, in two broad areas. And these kind of categories were either associated with helplessness or unlovability. So, you know, we are unique and wonderful people, but Judith Beck, basically went do you know what negative core beliefs will kind of fall into one or other of these categories or sometimes with both there's a bit of a kind of super super negative core beliefs where you have lots of these things so if we look at helpless as a kind of category of core beliefs what 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 are we thinking what kind of examples are there what what are the things people think about themselves well i am a failure is um pretty kind of like yeah, helplessness, core belief, because then you, you know, you just believe that you can never succeed. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you just, you know, why try it? Um, because you won't be able to do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, what was I thinking? It, it kind of, um, I'm a failure. Um, yeah. It, sorry, I had a thought there. Now it's gone. Sorry, that's not live on air. Listen, watch that thought just kind of go into my head now again there you go it's gone i'm a failure a very good example of a helpless core belief any more any more kind of thoughts about what what those beliefs might be 
sort of what Bob said earlier, not good enough, not feeling good enough. Everyone else is better than you. Yeah. Oh, I know. I was thinking about um, uh, sort of codependency and, and these core beliefs being, you know, really measuring yourself against people. So if you're a failure, you need other people to kind of measure yourself up, you know, in terms of like, oh, I'm a failure, um, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, Kim Kardashian or whatever. Um, you know, obviously she's been my big role model. I'm obviously regularly measuring myself. That you can't see, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and in that I'm not good enough, um, uh, Corbyn. What you mentioned it earlier, Bob. What, what, what? You know, what did? What's the flavour of that? What was it like? What was the fl- like? How did it play out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just was like, I always describe it as being like not X enough because it just kind of like, the X could be like a million things. So I didn't feel like I was clever enough, didn't feel like I was like interesting enough, didn't think I was funny enough, didn't think I was good enough. Like just like so much of this just never being enough. Which okay. um, is exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 I think we talked about that when we talked about codependency as well. It's like if you're constantly measuring yourself against some ridiculous, you know, unobtainable measure, it's really, really exhausting and depressing. And, and of course, at the same time, you're looking for things that absolutely confirm that you're not good enough. You know, you've got your, your eyes are especially peeled out for the I'm a failure because, uh, you know, some friend of yours might, you know, buy a house. That used to be one of my kind of measures. It's like, well, look at them. They got, they own their own flat. It's like a house in London. It's a flat in it. Oh, look, they've got a flat. You know, it's like, I haven't. That means I am a failure. And then you start looking for everybody that's, you know, buying a flat. It's probably nobody these days. Um, anymore. Now this, I mean, one of them is just like, I am helpless. You know, mm. that is one of their kind of helplessness beliefs. And the other one I wanted to ask you about, this is really, and I, I don't really know what I think about this. I am powerless. Okay, that is what is identified by Judith Beck as a commonly held negative core belief that people have around sort of those set of helplessness core beliefs. So I am powerless. And how does that fit with the, the kind of NA we admitted we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives have become unmanageable? Any, any thoughts on that? I don't like it. I don't like. Um, I don't like something that tries to make you admit that you don't have power over yourself, because it makes you feel like you won't be able to manage anything without outside help. So, do you think, in a way, that that can, you know, this is Antonio, by the way, that 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 can um, feed into existing negative beliefs? If you hold those beliefs. Yeah, because it's almost as though you're not enough. So it might reinforce the fact that you are not enough to be able to change yourself. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't, it's not particularly, I have a particular view or we have a particular view one way or the other. It's just an interesting thing to think about that if you hold core beliefs about around helplessness you know what what do those words mean for you how do you kind of manage those things i guess with the na thing it's kind of because it comes right at the beginning it's kind of like going straight into as you say your core beliefs or something and then going into something like admitting that you don't have the control that you might have thought 
you had most of your life with with a with a substance i'm not that bad i haven't lost my house or you know you're kind of like so right and looking at the powerlessness so you end up looking at like situations that happened when you were using that you can't kind of deny uh your powerlessness you can't deny the fact that you didn't really have a choice even if you didn't want to you were still doing something that you didn't want to do that kind of thing so it kind of just shows you puts it in your face that there is no kind of denying that uh you know you don't kind of you can't really control what you kind of thought you might have been able to control until you got to the stage where you were you know you, you couldn't anymore that's really interesting. I never really thought about that in terms of where it comes in the 12 steps. Because I was thinking about, I was talking to a friend the other day about um, Buddhism and, and kind of in Buddhism, there's the, they call them the Four Noble Truths. I do have more interesting and fun conversations too. Um, but I, we, were talk, we were talking about this and, you know, the first you're, one of those truths. You know you're not cool enough, don't you? <laughs> I'm not interesting enough. Um, so, but, but the first one is life is suffering. And, you know, that's the first thing to understand. And then after that, it kind of takes you through these three other steps that give you the sense of, like, hope or how you can try to alleviate that suffering. So I guess there's something similar with the 12 steps in terms of, like, that's the first thing. But then I guess, like, through the other steps around making amends or the other stuff, like, I guess maybe it is giving you the sense of, like, what can change. And then you come back to you. Yeah. You say you're powerless at the beginning through whatever process you go through after that is giving your power back to you in a different way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it could probably do with retweaking, a bit of an arrogant suggestion, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, AA is slightly different, isn't it? Because we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. So that, that, you know, there are, there are different kind of nuances in and that, how that first step is um, expressed. But if, if you see it as a, a way of recognizing a core belief almost, you know, of kind of recognizing that, that those moments of helplessness or powerlessness, and then it being a process of, of building power. I don't know, power, makes, power is a word that makes people very uncomfortable, isn't it? I guess I didn't think I was powerlessness because I, you know, I was very good at what I did and I did it for a long, long, long time and I was really, really good at it, you know. So, you know. I always thought I was completely in control. I'm laughable now. The queen of the heroin addicts, I am. <laughs> I'm not like everyone else. I'm special no, and different. Yeah. Just, just on the kind of the, the powerless help called beliefs, I was thinking of like, I don't know how it's formed. So I guess it's got different variations. Like, I'm not allowed to exist. Yeah. Or I don't exist. Like, a, that's yeah. a very huge one. Yeah. I know. And, and, I mean, you know, the, 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 these, the, the list as in, okay, the list as in kind of developed by Judith Beck, copyright, um, is I am helpless, I am powerless, I am out of control, which is, you know, has a few resonances for me. I've often felt very out of control. I am weak, I'm vulnerable, I am needy, I am inadequate, I am ineffective, I am incompetent, I'm a failure. I am disrespected, I am, I am disrespected, I am defective, or I'm not good enough in terms of achievement. And, and the defective is I don't measure up to people. So, you know, a lot of the focus on those things is external mm -hmm. events. It's like it's external people or external 
God, oh God, I'm, I'm using my hands a bit here, which is a bit stupid on the podcast, isn't it? Moving my hands around, juggling for radio. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's kind of events and people that you're measuring yourself against. And maybe there's something in that, you know, in, in fellowship, it, it says we were admitted, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, which again is a very sort of external thing. But often combined with those beliefs of helplessness are a set of beliefs around being unlovable. And um, the Smiths basically made a career out of these, I think. It's like, some, it's like reading some kind of, for those people who don't know the Smiths, they're a post-punk Mancunian band. But um, everybody knows the Smiths, don't they? I don't know. Somebody don't. All right. So, for those of you who don't know, Smiths are kind of 80s band from Manchester who wrote lots of kind of self pitying songs. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. Yeah, they made a career out of writing songs. So actually the list of unlovable core beliefs actually looks like one of Morrissey's lyrics. Um, so the first unlovable you core belief. What? You might see us. <laughs> Probably will, Miss Wells. Um, so the first belief being, I am unlovable. So what, what, what might, what other core beliefs might people hold about themselves around kind of being unlovable? I'm ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Annoying. I messed up. <laughs> Unwanted. Yeah. 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 Nobody, yeah, nobody wants to be my other half. Nobody wants to be my mum and dad. Nobody wants, you know, just like, nobody wants to, you know, be around you really or whatnot. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I am different as well. I'm a freak. I'm different. Um, not living up to, like, standards of that society sets of what you you know should be what you should be what you should look like how you should be and that comes with you know with the helplessness as well you were saying about the flat thing it's like what society expects we should be attaining or look like or have and and if we don't kind of like you know step up to that or look thin or be white or you know tall or or rich you know, then, then, then we are failures. Yeah, I think that's culturally as well, massively as well. If you don't live up to your culture's way of how they want you to be, then that's a massive shame that you sort of bring on to yourself. You internalise, not good enough, I couldn't do it. Why can't I be like them? You know, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite big as well, the cultural side of things. Irish families and... Stop it. We all just stop this because actually, you know, you're you're racing ahead here because actually that's what we're going to look at 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 the second part of this. And this is sort of third part of this series of podcasts, which is about shame. And it links shame to like very much about these feelings, these core beliefs of not kind of meeting external um, kind of standards, if you like. Um, so the unlovable ones, yeah, and also there's, with the cluster of unlovable core beliefs, there are, are, there are some beliefs that are about kind of projection about the future. So I am, one of them is I am bound to be rejected or I am bound to be abandoned or, I, you know, I am bound to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I what the the one of the other core beliefs from, that come into this this kind of cluster are I'm not good enough and that's that's slightly different from I'm not good enough as in I don't measure up to other people this this is I I am not good enough to be loved by people just like so is this kind of like coming back to like attachment theory and things like that totally yeah yeah I mean the the, the funny thing I think not the funny but one of the notable things about psychology is like psychological theory the the stuff we're talking about the stuff we train is lots of different theories overlap each other and say very similar things and of course they all claim to be like oh this is the thing you know you you know cbt is the answer and actually a lot of what beck is saying in here totally relates to attachment to bulbing attachment theory and or what whether it be like karen horney saying um yeah you know children interpret events in a certain way and it's it might not be the 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 it's super logical but for children that that makes sense to them and and you know a lot of it is that if i um experience um being neglected by my parent as a child i may may take that on to be i am unattractive or you know, I am, I am unworthy or I am different. And actually that's just neglect. Oh. But the child takes that, that core belief into being a measure of themselves. So are we kind of clear about these kind of, these, they tend to be kind of very similar core beliefs that people, negative core beliefs that people hold. Can I just say one quick thing? Um, I'm just kind of struck by those core beliefs which are like, I'm bound to be this, or I'm bound to be that. There's this kind of like future kind of element to them. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our seminars and we were kind of sharing lots of different words and I've got a bit of a kind of love for weird foreign words, mostly German. And in German, they have this word, and I was talking about it, I couldn't remember the, the word, but I remembered it the other day, just really randomly. So they have this word called Zweck Pessimismus, which I'm probably pronouncing horrendously. So Zvek Pessimismus, they... Well, they, 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 they probably yeah. have a word, word for uh, pronouncing words wrongly. They probably do, yeah. yeah. Um, but Zvek Pessimismus means uh, calculated pessimism. So you, it's the pessimism that you have to stop yourself feeling rejected in future. Or you kind of look on the negative side so that you don't experience the pain of something difficult happening in the future. Do you see what it means? Like, so, so this idea of like, I'm bound to be rejected is almost like you're, you're kind of, it's this calculated pessimism when you're stopping yourself from feeling something in a certain way, or you're stopping yourself even going for a date or going for a kind of like, I don't know, writing application for a course, because you're yeah. so scared of the pain of rejection that you stop yourself feeling the pain through this Vec pessimismus. <laughs> you have to love Germans, don't you? <laughs> so precise. When you were talking, it reminded me of her, and I don't. Hopefully, she won't be. She won't be listening to this. A woman I knew many years ago. I don't think she'll be listening. Um, she grew up in around Sheffield, and she grew up in what had been a kind of mining community. And she was a nice little kid, and she she was a sweetie. And one day she looked at the she's got a really northern mother, like really speck pessimistic mother. And she looks out the window and goes, "I love living here, mummy. It's I love the green hills. You know, I love being surrounded by these lovely green hills." And her mum went, "They're not hills. They're slag heaps." 
and um, she cited this as this kind of horrible moment. Um, but yeah, so often this, this, this pessimism we get is also, you know, given to us by our lovely parents. So, okay. So I just wanted to establish like core beliefs, right? So the bit is like people hold these core beliefs. So how Beck then describes how these kind of play out in people's lives. So, you know, uh, is that you start off thinking the world's a nice place full of green hills and then you realise it's full of, you know, slag heaps. Um, so the world is a bad place. So you have these core beliefs and then Beck says what comes after that? They, these, these influence the, the development of what Beck calls intermediate beliefs. Just what's intermediate? Can you just kind of... Another word for intermediate? In the middle? Yeah. So like a secondary? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like sort of, yeah, the secondary in the middle. So Beck calls them intermediate beliefs. And these consist of a set, a set of attitudes and rules and assumptions. And once again, Beck suggests that these, are, these, these attitudes, rules and assumptions are not things we express. We don't go, oh, I've got this internal rule that says, or we never actually kind of express them to ourselves. So they just seem natural or universal. And, and you know, that, that people think, oh, surely everybody thinks that just because they're sort of so internal and ingrained. So quick question. What, what do you think the tendency is when a person, you know, grows up with a set of unarticulated internal sets of rules or assumptions for life? Get let down. Yep. Of course. Why won't you get let down? Well, you might presume stuff that you know is completely not right, and then and then, or or hold people up to standards of what you expect, and then and that's not the case. They don't think you know, it, lack of communication or other ideas that people have got their own core beliefs, you know, yeah. that don't that clash kind of thing. Totally, yeah. And, and, and what are, you know, if you've got kind of rules that, you, you know, are so sort of like inside you that you don't even know that you couldn't write them on a piece of paper, but they're there, nevertheless, they're kind of operating inside you. That can be quite kind of rigid, can't it? So, it, you know, a bit like Heather was saying, then if you've got a load of rigid rules, it's just going to be the case that there's going to be lots of people and, and situations in life where your rules don't work <laughs> and the rest of the world goes fuck you fuck your rules i'm going to do things differently so you know that leads to frustration you know constantly trying to fit things into what these rules and assumptions are that makes sense can you give an example so it's like it's so what you're saying is you have a core belief and then connected to that core belief you have these kind of secondary yeah immediate things which are like rules and attitudes what's an example okay um so that, i mean let's use, use something kind of quite sort of you know simple it's like so the core belief is uh let's say that let's imagine somebody the core belief is i'm incompetent right i'm useless and incompetent the in, intermediate beliefs around that would look something like um, the attitude is it's terrible to be incompetent and that tends to be an attitude around most core beliefs it's like it's awful the human the person knows that it's awful to be incompetent mm. that's shameful that's where shame comes in 
It's awful. So the attitude is, oh, it's terrible to be incompetent. The rules or expectations that you have would be, I need to work as hard as I can all of the time. I need to do that. I need to prove that I'm not incompetent. And the assumption is, if you work as hard as you can, maybe you'll be able to be competent. You'll be able to do things as easily as you think other people do them. Mm -hmm. So you've just set up all these kind of rules for yourself. Um, and, you know, it's all that kind of nagging kind of set of feelings that are deep, deep down where you you employ lots of behaviours around them, lots of rules and lots of things you've got to do to live up to. And, and you know, the, the thing, so the, there's lots of inauthenticity. We talked about authenticity, didn't we? So there are lots of behaviours that actually run away from that core belief. Yeah, you're doing stuff that doesn't feel like it sits easily with you. Yeah. Because and comfort causes you to do more of those behaviours yeah. sometimes or other behaviours. Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of basically it's setting up. So the attitude is I must not, you know, nobody must see this. But there's lots of rules and, and behaviours around what those rules would achieve that actually just are inauthentic behaviors or setting up as i say lots of ways of behaving if you're if you've got a load of rigid expectations and and um rules in your life what does that lead to anxiety and frustration because you can't expect everyone else to live by those rules yeah exactly so you know once again it's a different way of looking at stress and anxiety we looked at anxiety in a kind of, I think, kind of quite a positive way the other week about it recognising that, that, that there are things going awry or, you know, that, the, that it was a kind of way of understanding yourself, wasn't it? it Help me a bit more here. Well, yeah, how, how, you know, what do you think was the main message from that anxiety podcast? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of looking at, like, the function anxiety has and trying to kind of tune into it rather than run away from it. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, but if you, if you, if you feel that, it, you know, another way of kind of understanding that as well is to look at the kind of rules and expectations that you have of yourself due to negative core beliefs that you hold. But that's quite a big ask. Some, you know, like, why don't you just identify your own core beliefs and look at the, the, the kind of rules and the expectations that you hold around them is, you know, that is a kind of huge piece of work. It's not just somebody you can send off somebody to do overnight with a bit of homework, you know. And come back with me when you've identified your core beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are these rules that you make up, are they in a way protecting your core beliefs? They're what? So protecting, yeah. Yeah, protecting them. But yeah. subconsciously, like you don't know you're protecting something. Yeah. And it, and you're absolutely right. And of course, you know, stuff happens really quickly. So if we go back to this, you know, the quite the easier kind of example of the core belief is I'm in, incompetent, right? So if I, I'm this person that thinks, oh God, I'm really incompetent. Um, one of my kind of, and, and that's a terrible thing. One of the rules I might have made for myself is I really need to work hard and understand myself. So I might think, right, I'm going to learn about psychology. Right, I'm going to really apply myself. I'm going to really, I need to understand myself. 
So that actually, I might read a, a, decide to read a book on CBT. So I kind of need to understand myself. I need to, I know, I'll read a book about CBT. However, there's a really quick, quick thought that comes into my head and that calls these kind of negative um, automatic thoughts of, oh, this is really hard. I'll never understand that. So, you know, I've sort of, I've settled down. I've thought, right, I need to improve myself. I'm going to read this book. Then, wham. There's this thought that goes, oh, this is really hard. I'll never understand that. And so what happens is that really impacts my emotion. So I feel sad or frustrated. And actually, you know, I might experience that physiologically. I might feel like a tension in my stomach um, or across my shoulders. And I'll just shut the book. I'll go, oh, I can't do this. So what, what he's kind of interested in is that, you know, from that core belief is I'm no good. If you try to, you know, for, for people, they'll, they'll set rules for themselves. And if they don't kind of meet the standards of their rules, it just reinforces back into that core belief. I always think of like core beliefs as having their own kind of like life force or something like, or they're like a parasite. It's just like they, they will fight for survival. Yeah. I know, think just like they, they want to just kind of like, Keep, dig their claws in and I don't know why well I guess it's because it's just like it's your way of making sense of the world so kind of how we started the conversation today like when you first come into recovery or you start this process of trying to understand who you are it's so daunting because you don't really understand like um yeah like we can be so resistant to change because you know it's a bit like free falling we don't know who we are because we're so used to the things that we've been used to all this time which might be just destructive and negative but it's familiar yeah and 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 it was you know that kind of belief of who we that negative core belief of who we are is it, it just seems like it's natural it feels like it's the air you know it's like well of course that's always been there and that's so strong that every kind of set of you know rules and behaviors around that uh, yeah we're saying they, they can just end up reinforcing that core belief so you know a lot a lot of what cbt tends to do and you know if people work with a cbt therapist is they'll get lots of homework about recognizing those negative automatic thoughts oh i can't do this i'll never do this and then kind of working backwards to understand what the you know intermediate thoughts are or what those intermediate rules and assumptions are and, and really challenging that and you know we've kind of worked around the other way really because cbt would work backwards through automatic thoughts through those intermediate or midway kind of beliefs and back to the core belief and, and identifying what that is. Because of course it's really painful, you know? Often really, really painful to people go, yeah, I, I believe I am unlovable. That's fuck, you know, any of those core beliefs are really, really hard to genuinely kind of connect with, I would say. Let alone talk about to another person. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it felt like kind of doing this podcast, you know, researching and just kind of pulling it together a bit. It made me feel a bit, I don't know, I think that, you know, slightly anxious, I probably said the nearest word, because I feel like this stuff is important and, 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 and needs to be understand, understood with some depth other than, oh yeah, my core beliefs are no good, but you know, that was the old me now. Actually, I feel like there needs to be a real kind of, deeper understanding around it but that is really kind of tough stuff um so and just you know on a kind of 
Um, well, having said that, I just wanted to ask ask the kind of team this: is that can you can you can you kind of give some examples, or can you understand how understanding those negative automatic thoughts or those intermediate beliefs can benefit people? What can you put that into words? How does understanding this stuff benefit people? Yes, kind of. Being able to being able to recognise them if you've kind of done 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 sort of work on yourself, um, then you kind of know when you're doing it, and you can kind of make remind yourself that it isn't real, that it's your head telling you this shit that's that's not actually real. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, lots of kind of you know psychological kind of practice is just around just i say just but it's around recognizing stuff isn't it like oh yeah that's where i go to really quickly that's my my, my knee-jerk response hold on let's just kind of you know look into this a bit more with a bit more time and space and let's let, let, let's look at what lies behind this i think there's something for me as well about um recognizing patterns of not only the thoughts that come up but also when they come up so i remember like for a bloody long time like i didn't i mean this is just really embarrassing to say because i'm just now going to get like hit with accusations of man flu but i think like one of the worst times for me was when i used to be ill my thinking would get so catastrophic and you know i like to think maybe i'm just getting defensive i like to think i wasn't being kind of typical man flu but i know in my head it was just like the world was going to end, like I just didn't have any friends and no one liked me and all this kind of stuff. And then at some point I joined the dots, just like generally I don't feel like that, but when I'm ill, I do. And now I kind of know that when I'm ill, like not to pay attention to those thoughts as, as much as I can or just kind of recognize. And, and similarly, kind of when I'm tired or similarly if I'm burnt out, so kind of recognizing like, okay, these things do have a life cycle that tend to relate to when I'm not taking care of myself or if I'm you know, working too hard or whatever. Yeah, I recognise that, like hormone, you know, with hormones, very much so. That's what I was just thinking as well, monthly mad thoughts. Crazy. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Rating <laughs> women again. And please. And also, I mean, you know, with, with kind of, uh, I think the interesting thing about core beliefs is the theory and you know i'm going to argue with the theory but the theory is that the kind of beliefs we hold about ourselves that that um are so sort of ingrained we're almost not aware of them but i think on some level we are aware of like feeling you know useless or unlovable or weird or different and i think a lot of certainly my own personal way of dealing with those those kind of horrible kind of beliefs i had about myself was through drugs and alcohol you know just actually provided a a kind of relief from those thoughts that i didn't want you know so i didn't really want to i didn't last thing i did in recovery last thing i wanted to do in recovery is give up drugs and alcohol and then go and explore what those awful beliefs i had about myself were actually you know <laughs> it's like no thank you so i think this is quite you know this is gonna be quite tough for people because you know a lot of those beliefs i, I kind of knew i just didn't want to know 
Yeah, it, I think it is really tough, but as you guys here know, I love CBT and I think it's one of the things that really sort of helped me to know who I was and to know that um, the, the different thing, what you say about feeling different, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in at everybody else and learning CBT, I sort of could like stand beside other people and not be that person there because I understood that it wasn't me and there was, certain, you know, that I fed certain core beliefs quite a lot as well to make to reinforce it like what we've been saying and for me I think naming it CBT named stuff for me and it wasn't just weird old me you know it yeah. was something else and that that for me was a big revelation I could like myself and get to know myself in a different way mm. well and next week I mean you know next week or next not next week is next fortnight isn't it but you know next podcast would we, we want to do around this is um want to look a bit at how those beliefs are formed you know spend a bit more time thinking about that you know as bob said children are little sponges so is it surprising that that you know they'll learn things they 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 start to believe things about themselves that are, are, are not true you know and and i think part of the process of uh, CBT is to also give yourself a bit of a break mm. and, and, and recognize the things that you believe that you can believe about yourself you know aren't truths they're not self-evident universal truths they are just what you've absorbed from your environment and your, your upbringing very much so on that I think you know we, we've we've finished for uh, this podcast but please join us again because we're kind of the subject isn't finished yeah it's quite a deep one so we'll we'll carry on this so thank you from me thanks liz thank you thank you let's thank me thank the listeners the continuation of this of this one actually i look forward to continuing this great all right well we'll see you next time <laughs>